0: hey Welcome to the podcast. Why am I doing an accent? I have no fucking clue. Hello guys, welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 158 and uh, chilling here with Mr. Balanto, my co-host. And um, just want to do a quick little disclaimer before we get into the episode. Um, there was a random clicking noise. I think it has something to do. I explained at the end, but um, I'm sorry for that. I couldn't take it out because it was during conversation, but... I uh, apologize, um, try to make sure that doesn't happen next time, I think I know the reason, uh, I explain at the end, but uh, but yes, great story, two people, and um, very, very sweet relationship between the father and son, so I, I'm happy to tell it, and um, especially coming off of, you know, a few weeks ago we did one with my father, um, actually this would be like two months ago now, um, but yeah, so I get to hear a relationship between another father and son, it just, was totally different than ours, but um, I hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, I'll see you in a second. All right, guys, we are here again. Uh, this one's a little more unorthodox than the usual, because anytime I've ever had, I usually don't have more than one person on, but what I have, a lot of times they're in the same room or... Maybe um, talk off the same phone But we're, we're trying this three-way calling thing Which I've done, just not for a podcast But I think it's going to work perfectly fine um, And as I was saying to them off mic I was reaching out to the father And realized the, the son was on the same website And um, he asked me if, I can, if he wanted me to have him by himself Or both And I said, let's just do both Because their story is so connected And it's, you kind of can't have one without the other um, and, and to me you get a more powerful message with them together So um, you guys want to kind of introduce yourself um, Doesn't matter which one
1: first I'll go first so I'm Robert Delana. Uh I am, I'm the dad uh, I grew up in Louisiana, Massachusetts outside of Boston uh, We moved out to Sudbury before Ryan was born And he, he's lived here his whole life uh, I went to Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut And uh, Northeastern Law school. I practiced law unhappily for a couple of years and started a recruiting business and um, was, uh, you know, busily living life when when Ryan arrived and, and things, you know, sort of changed after that. Ryan has a younger sister who's sixteen months younger, Abigail, and my wife is Mary Beth, and uh, that's that's everything about me.
2: Ryan, I'm Ryan, and uh, I'm the kid. <laughs> uh, I guess I probably won't introduce myself too much because we're going to get into a ton of that in the story, but um, I was the co-author of this book we wrote together called Without Restraint. Right now I go to Northern Vermont University and studying outdoor education, and uh, I spend pretty much every minute I can in the mountains and adventuring. Awesome,
0: awesome. Um, I guess I'll start with you, Rob, because I've asked this question Mm -hmm. to someone who got married, and, and their, the, the wife end up having this condition. And, you know, when you sign up to be married, it's like for better or for worse. And, and you don't really know mm-hmm. what that entails, because you just assume everything's going to be fine. And hopefully you die together, natural causes, so on and so on. Mm-hmm. But you, you really don't know what's coming. And I would kind of ask you the same thing as far as having a child, like, obviously, a lot comes down the pipe here. But like, did you kind of know, I mean, mean, were you planning to have a kid? Did you kind of know what you're getting yourself into? Obviously you didn't know what he was going to end up having to go through, but, um, were you kind of content with having a child and, and where it was going to take you?
1: Definitely. No, we, 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 you know, we were ready and, you know, Mary Beth and I are both sort of type A people and we have structure and routine in all aspects of our lives. And, you know, we both grew up sort of blue collar, did well. We moved out to a big house in the suburbs and, We were enjoying, you know, you know, the aspects of that. Ryan came along and then Abigail came, his sister came along, you know, shortly after. So, you know, we were right where we thought we would be. Ryan was, you know, in in the twos when Abigail was a baby And, and Ryan was a rambunctious kid. He was, he was really smart and he was stubborn and willful and defiant when he wanted to be. But, you know, he was, he was very fun to parents. And uh, I enjoyed that aspect of his personality that was a little defiant. I liked, I thought, you know, that he would be a leader, I thought, because he, you know, he didn't always listen, you know, and I think that that was going to make him an interesting adult. Where things started to slowly go off the rails was with the introduction of schools. He was just really difficult, you know, for schools to manage. And that's when we sort of had those first you know, bits of conflict in our house because, you know, when your kid is different than other kids and experts are telling you, you should do certain things, we didn't always agree. Um, so I think everything, you know, I'll stop there, but everything went according to plan until probably when Ryan went to preschool and then things got interesting after that.
0: Yeah. Did you, you always have a pretty good household there, Ryan? Good parents, everything?
2: Yeah. I, I always had really good memories at home. And of those early years, I really... I didn't anticipate any problems. I didn't feel like I was too different from any other kid until I was around five and we started having troubles with the schools. Um, I would say it was great growing up there. Awesome.
0: Yeah. I mean, that doesn't definitely helps when there is something different about people. Cause you know, for me with my parents, you know, even if it wasn't the greatest household because they eventually broke up and a lot of arguing, um, they were still pretty attentive towards what I was going through. Um, And it it can, if if something sticks out differently, obviously in school is immediate red flag because, uh, and, and, you know, I went to school, I mean, I'm 34 now, so I graduated high school in 08. So Jesus, what, I don't even know, 18 years before (laughs) that, we're talking, uh, 90 or no, 90, no, 2000, um, where I graduated probably about eighth grade. And, um, I know the numbers are not, are off, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about 2000. And, um, you know, school was, I was one of the worst case scenarios for school. Uh, I had a lot of bullying and things that happened to me, not just by students, Mm -hmm. but also by teachers. So, um, and and when you have a good system in place, especially when you can go home, you have somewhere where you can escape. Because a lot of times, for for some kids, unfortunately, school is their escape, because at home isn't so good. Um, but in, in our case we had good parents um which really really helps and for you you had both parents in the same household um so and kudos to you uh, rob and your wife as well um
1: i agree with that I, I think the parental expectations did play a part in things going off the rails for ryan and, and what i mean by that is you know you know mary beth and i had done better than our parents right we, we had we had sort of lived that american dream and and we were both, you know, practicing law and making money. And, you and, know, and we had all those things. When your kids come along, the expectations that they'll be, do even better than that. So, I mean, I think we had really high expectations for Ryan and that he would, you know, go to a better college than we went to. And, and I was a college baseball player, I was a pretty good college baseball player. I thought Ryan would be a great college baseball player. So, you know, all of those things played a part in when he was slightly different you know, if I go back and look at it, I, I think we've probably overreacted, you know, and I think that he been a typically developing kid. I worry we would have screwed him up more because I think the pressure would have been so enormous for him to be, you know, the super achiever that it, it might have been worse. I think the best thing that ever happened to me as a person was that Ryan, you know, was different and did struggle. And I had to accept, you know, that he wasn't the kid that i had drawn up in my head and he ended up being a much better version uh, it took me years to figure that out but um i do think that the pressure you know pressure in a town like ours and you know you've seen this in communities i'm sure where you live is it's just it's, it's really high on kids and, and you know the advent of the phones and the internet has only added to that
0: yeah it could go it could go either think, way <laughs> though i'm sorry go ahead Ryan.
2: oh no, no sorry i I, uh, I jumped right in but yeah i was gonna say that i think that could be really key because um Uh, As I go to school in Vermont and I meet more people who were kind of raised in Vermont, by these really free-rangey, kind of chill parents, Uh, you can see that the attitudes are different and how it results. Um, when When you treat your kid like they have a purpose before they've even figured out what their purpose is, then the second it's not going the way you want, you're like, what's wrong? Whereas... You know, I've been meeting some of these parents more or meeting these kids who have these types of parents who treat them like, you know, almost like any other living thing on this earth. Like a wildflower or, you know, a fox or something where they're just meant to exist in this world and be beautiful and strange. And what form they take on is kind of up to them in the world. Uh, and it, it make some interesting adults, but I feel like they pay less mind to the quirks because they aren't expecting their kid to be something. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's, like, the way that all kids have to be parented in order for them to turn out okay. I just think it's an interesting observation because we, we did grow up in a town where uh, the second kids are born, there are expectations on them. And it's a living thing, you know. A kid is a living thing, and there's lots of influences beyond just the family, including within their own brains. So it's hard to put that expectation on somebody. And I I think that's what contributed. I think had I I grown up in a different town, maybe a lot of this wouldn't happen the way it did.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Your scenery is is really key. I mean, you could put enough pressure on a kid to where he's going to fail because he's never going to amount or he's going to feel or she is going to feel that they're going to – they're never going to succeed in their parents' eyes. You know, let's say you being a – Rob being a a really good baseball Mm -hmm. player, like for him – what if, what if he tried to play baseball and was awful at it? Now in his eyes, he may feel like he was a failure as a son or as a kid or person in in society, which isn't true, but it's like, if you put too much pressure on a kid, they end up going another direction anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, you kind of just, I get, I, I really envy, like, I, I don't know how any parent, or a kid really grows up nowadays. Like I don't know how a parent parents and I don't know how a kid becomes a kid nowadays because it's so much harder. I mean, like I said, I graduated in high school in 08 and the politically correctness and everything was just getting somewhere. Whereas now it's awful. Kids can't even like say Merry Christmas or anything. Um, (laughs) You know, we had kids that were religious and they didn't put their hand over their heart for the pledge of allegiance. And that was fine. But now it's like, we have to make sure everybody's included, which is not necessarily a bad thing but it's also, we go so far and beyond, and, and then we're giving trophies to every kid for everything. And, and so no kid really knows if they're good at anything. Um, and then with him having a different like, condition and everything, y- you throw him into the fire. Sometimes if you some parents protect their kids so much that when they get to see reality, reality kicks them in the face really hard. And then yeah. that's when the acting out can happen even more so because um, you just you don't know how they're going to take to that.
1: And that was our experience in schools. I mean, it was, you know, the initial preschool called him gifted. You know, I thought, well, gifted sounds pretty good. And, and I remember the teacher looking at me with these sad eyes, but it was this terrible thing we were going to be burdened with. And, and that we, that lasted about a year. And then it was when he got into the, you know, a more uh, you know, formal preschool. Um, one of those, pre- we lived in a town where we have one of those preschools that you have to put the kid's name on the list when, when they're in the womb. And we were so excited when he got in and he was there one day and, they asked to have a meeting with us the next day, and asked to have a pediatric neuropsychologist observe him. And you know, think about that—he was there one day. Like, what could he have done if it weren't that? And all he did was, when they were trying to do this formal activity of making macaroni necklaces or whatever they were doing, he was—he wanted to watch the sink fill. They had this big farmhouse sink in the room, and he wanted to fill it up and watch it drain. He, Brian was obsessed in his little with. With HVAC and plumbing and electrical, he loved like watching water move through pipes and air. And we used to walk around Boston and look at these giant fans and you know and attached to buildings, and that was just you know that was what he was interested in. And 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 because of that, they viewed him as being so difficult that, that they that he should be observed as, as having some issue. And that's where things really went off the rails. It really started there the pediatric neuropsychologist. Thought he couldn't handle that preschool. I suggested he go to an integrated one in the town. That went okay for a year. And then he repeated the program a second year. And we didn't think about the implications of having him do the same program twice because everything that advanced during the first part, the first year, reset at the start of the second year. And for a very linear kid, it, it threw him off. And then it was at that point, I'll let Ryan pick up the story. So it's at that point. Uh, they suggested a therapeutic placement, which was which was which was the worst mistake we ever made. And I'll, I'll let Ryan explain why, if you want.
0: Sure. Uh, just I just wanted to say one quick thing, Ryan. Like I kind of mm-hmm. I kind of relate with that because again, like I said, I went through a lot of abuse and and like, I was molested in school. A lot of bad things oh, happened God. to me. I know by a, a nurse at that. And I the way I dealt with my trauma because it was adults doing it and mostly adults. I mean, there was kids throwing stuff at me and everything. But like I kind of put myself in this bubble where just like my toys and everything became like my escape so like I was really enamored with textures and how things felt and because I was so I was abused and, and just kind of damaged inside and, and you know our case is different obviously but I, I the way I kind of suppressed a lot of my anger and sadness is I just threw like I said even looking at ceiling fans move and, and just textures and because I was just trying to escape from any hell that I was in. And again, I didn't go through, it. mine was in school as well. Um, but well,
2: at that, point, wasn't even, that wasn't even to escape from the trauma because I didn't even have the trauma yet. Right, right, um, right. I was, I was just fascinated by large mechanisms, anything that was really big and really grand and had a lot of moving parts. I was just, I wanted to see how it worked. I wanted to go inside it and, you know, just figure it out. I was just a kid who was fascinated by that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything that I was into, I wanted to learn every everything about. So, like when I got into um, the Blue Planet movies, I wanted to know what every fish did and what it looked like and where they lived. And then it was um, fighter jets. I wanted to know every fighter jet and like what how fast it flew. I was just I was fascinated by things, and that is what ultimately made me a really good skier and climber because I didn't just learn the skill; I learned. Uh, the the jargon and the techniques and all that stuff really quickly but um, the the trauma really started when um, I moved to my first therapeutic school uh, and even before that when uh, a woman from that school went to visit me at the preschool that I was at uh, she restrained me on the floor and it was it was violent it was not 20 minutes long i was fighting i didn't know what happened she was like hurting my wrists and my arms by pulling them behind my back she covered my mouth when i started screaming and i couldn't breathe and you know i all of a sudden i went from this kid who whenever i did something wrong uh one of the teacher's aides would just walk and talk with me until i was ready to go back to class all of a sudden i did something that i didn't perceive as a big deal and i just got what i perceived as know physically attacked for it uh and when i moved to that next school that was their ideology that if you weren't cooperating then they were going to restrain you and at times it was even a punishment even if you weren't cooperating in the moment um they wouldn't do it right on the spot they would say we're going to go back inside and we're going to do it so it, it wasn't Like it was this last resort when nothing else was working. It was the first thing they went to. Right. So at that point, you know, I didn't really have an escape because they taught them how to do it at home. You know, they taught my dad and all my babysitters how to do it. It it wasn't until I found skiing that I had that escape, and then that became my escape.
0: Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. That's totally different. Now, um, and they
1: told us they had told us, you know that. This was the model because if kids, you know, kids that were dysregulated, you know, a lot of times the human touch and they described it as a hug would would sort of help them and bring them back and say, okay, you're okay. And and you know, when you hear that as a parent, and Ryan was four years old, five years old, you know, it made sense. I was thinking, okay, I mean, that's not the worst thing if they have to do that. Um, But you know, when they when they taught us how to do it, they sort of show you how to get. The kid from behind and kind of pin him down on the floor, and I remember thinking, it "Seems crazy," but at the time he was so little, it was pretty easy. It was pretty easy to do, you know. Right. But you know, over the he was there at four years, and he would always describe the restraints as, as suffocating, and he thought he was going to die. And, and and even when we did them at home, you know, if he really wanted to fight and wiggle, and, and you know, as a male, you your heart starts to pump. And it becomes a physical confrontation, and you and you want to you know win that confrontation, and 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 he would go on for in oh, you know, a long period of time, and then after it was over, I couldn't even remember why why he got in trouble in the first place. How did we end up on the floor? It just made, like why did we get to that point? And it just never made any sense to me because he never he was going to he was never going to use that the next time to make a better decision because it wasn't teaching him anything. It was, it was like hitting your dog. I mean, it just, it just, it, so it quickly became. You know, it's clear to me that this was a terrible approach. The problem was once he got to that school in Massachusetts, when you go to a therapeutic school and you go, you have a one-to-one aid and you're at a place that restrains, it's really hard to go back to public school. So all of our options to leave there were other schools that, that did the same thing. And we went out, we had this like long fight with the town and eventually we, we did move him to a place that seemed marginally better because that was our only option. And in between that, you know, I'll let Ryan pick that part up too. He, um, they started medicating him. He ended up seeing uh, a therapist who recommended that he go to a, uh, an inpatient facility, a mental hospital for a couple of weeks so they could manipulate his meds uh, because he was so dysregulated. Well, the reason he was so dysregulated at that point was all the trauma from the restraint. You, know, sure. you know, when we wrote the book, it was easy to piece all this together after the fact. But when you're living it as a parent and you're having these experts and you had you know, this is boston we had harvard trained you know experts saying you know the, the next school will be better or the, the hospital stay will help it'll, it'll it'll give us a chance to get the meds right you know my gut instinct was always that they were wrong but i wasn't ready to really challenge them yet because i you know i'll answer uh, for a little bit ryan pick it up it was when i st- we started skiing around this time and i would see him away from all this on you know where well, he was free and he was taking risks, you know, and he was having fun and I just saw this different kid and it started to register that everybody was wrong about him, you know, including my perceptions of so that point. So that really, that was really the game changer for us. But Brian can talk a little bit about the, the hospital and the second school. Well, before he does, work, what is work. his
0: actual condition? So we know.
1: So the only <laughs> formal diagnosis he ever had was when he was the first pediatric neuropsychologist, when she did testing on him after, after the first preschool, um, her diagnosis was pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, (PDD-NOS). And if you think about it, it's pervasive, it's developmental, it's a disorder, but it's not otherwise specified. So it's like saying there's something wrong with him, but we really don't know what it is. But the reason they put that label on, on him was because it, it enabled us to get access uh, to the services from the town. Once he had that label, the, they paid for the therapeutic school, they paid for his busing, they paid for the, pri- the one-to-one aid. Um, and so it's, it's some sort of this game that's played. And, I, and at the time, I got it. I'm like, you have to call him something. You really don't know what to call him, uh, But if you call him something, then we get these services. The problem is once they put that label on them, there's no unwinding that label. Right, you know, right, And that's right. where we ran into resistance from the town.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, they dehumanize him and, and they... Mm-hmm. Essentially, put them mm-hmm. in this I mean there are certain labels that get put on you. Know, I interviewed a woman a while back and you know she found out later in life that she had some sort of form of autism and she was she pretty much lived a normal life. She was a very intelligent woman, but she just had little ticks to her. and once they told her and it became known that she was autistic, uh, some people started totally treating her different, even though she was the same person, she just got a diagnosis in her 30s. Um, yep. and, and it's there's certain labels like that, and again, disability, certain things that just make people look at you like you're slow, like there's something wrong with you, and yeah. and this, and you know, learning disabilities. Okay. Oh. Go ahead, buddy, go ahead.
2: Uh, that, was, that was the biggest thing for me, is like, once they started labeling me, and the label evolved over time, um, into things that I wasn't even formally diagnosed with, you start internalizing that, mm-hmm. and when people tell you, you get do this and this and this because your uh your brain just won't let you you stop trying and then when these administrators are looking at you and seeing you're not improving in any of these things they're like "We were right uh, but it took me having my diagnosis unraveled by any therapist and you know kind of wiping that canvas clean that I started realizing I have all the power in my hands I'm not limited by anything and it just shows you how much of this is really mental. Yeah, yeah. And then I started proving everybody wrong. It, it, it was this crazy time in my life where all of these negative things I thought about myself, I was just disproving. So it, it makes me think about these labels and you know, how much of it is self-fulfilling.
0: Right. And what, and you, you and I've, I've noticed this and I always say like visually, like some people visually are more blind and have perfect vision than the people who don't have any at all, or same with deaf. Um, but even in your case with a learning disability, like as a person with a vision problem, I've been considered as slow to some people because I look at my phone closer. Um, and you know, there, there's classes they wanted to put me in and all that didn't matter that I was getting straight A's. It didn't matter. It was just like, Oh, but there, he does this. And it's like, so, like, what does that matter? I mean, it's it's people that are just very ignorant and don't understand anything. And because they look at something that's totally different and off-putting to them, it's like, oh, we got to put this, like, remove this from my site. Uh, this, like, I, because some people can't imagine themselves with what we have. Um, just something that's a little off, something that's not working as well. It's like, well, we have to find some place for them to go because that's where we used to be put in, in camps. And, you know, and we were treated poorly yeah. for that. Um, it's unfortunate that so many kids have to go through it because it is very scarring. Um, you have to live with that for a long time until you find some sort of purpose, and then, as you were saying, you kind of—excuse <clears throat> me—you actually like you kind of thrive in the idea of proving people wrong.
1: Yep. In, in Ryan's case, it, you know, it manifested itself. when it really he was little, as he was reactive. You know, he was emotional, I and mean, things went poorly for him you know he was more vocal about it than other kids and he he wanted everything to go perfectly and when it didn't it it ticked him off and so when people see that in public settings you know they they just assumed he was you know poorly parented or just a you know you know misbehaving kid or was just a brat and you know i mean people come to me and say you know you know you should really give him a whack on the ass you know that you know you know teach that kid a lesson and he'll be you know, he had no idea what what's going on inside. You know, and, and yeah. that he had just these struggles that was just were different than other people, and it took him a little while, especially in a, in a setting where the pressure was on. You know, and that's I come back to skiing again. Skiing was this place where, you know, being a little bit, you know, different or a little more of a risk taker, or you know, th- we would see these other skiers and these other kids that were you know, they were rewarded for that. And it just, it was just a more freeing environment for
0: them. Yeah. And you're building up anger too, within a person like you're, again, I I was, somebody said this to a teacher of mine in in high school. She was like, I, I, I'm not, I'm some, I wouldn't be surprised if he was the kid that shot up the school. Now, as awful as that was, she wasn't far off because though I would have never done it because I was a soft kid. I also, mm-hmm. I had the anger. I had the rage of being bullied and, and mistreated. Yeah, that, bullied. And yeah. so, but a lot of that, it, it's all from people. And again, I'm not excusing school shootings or anything, yep. but there's a lot of times if we don't deal with mental health, we don't deal, and people are, kids are mistreated so poorly, and it doesn't have to be by their parents because- You know, like I was saying something to somebody at work today. I was like, we spend more time with each other than we do people we love in our family. So we should try to get along because it's the same thing with school. Like our teachers are so instrumental on us growing up, whether we like them or we want them to or not. They are. And if a teacher starts screwing you up and saying horrible things or just neglecting you or treating you differently from the other kids, it is it's very known. And and you start to feel uh, ostracized from the class, um, and then if you start getting yeah. put in other classes like he was, um, because I was put in visually impaired classes, and I realized I was too smart for those classes because they were treating them like last year's work, and I just started. Yep. Feeling- yeah, literally. Go ahead, buddy.
2: That happened to me as well at my third school. I realized I was getting the same homework as my sister who was a grade below, and it was crazy because at that point I was in high school, and I actually I brought in the work. And I tried to show everybody, I'm like, you guys are getting ripped off. You're not getting a real education. If you go to college, you're going to be two grades behind and have no idea what to do. And nobody was even outraged about it. They they didn't care because at that point, they had just been so institutionalized. They didn't even believe that they could be successful. You know, they were like, Mm -hmm. if we were getting work that you get in a normal school, we would have no idea how to do it. There's no way we'd even be able to complete this work. And it was just—it was a really sad day for me because I realized, like, I was—I was gonna have to go alone if I wanted to make it out of this. And there were some people who just weren't gonna see themselves as being capable, and they were gonna carry that through the rest of their lives, even if they could do it. There were smart kids in that class. Yeah, there was a lot of really capable kids, but they had just been crushed.
0: Well, that's the—that's the alternative, right? I'm sorry. What, what was...
1: You said something. I was going to say you said something interesting before that. It, um, you know, for a lot of kids, it's usually one or the other, right? Home is a disaster, and then school is arrested, or you know, school is a disaster, and then home, you know, with a right. perfect and home is arrested. In Ryan's case, he really didn't have either, I and mean, he really both were bad because when we when we were taught to restrain him and we were straining him, you know, up, in, up to a certain point when we stopped he was getting it on both ends and then part of where nature, the outdoors or skiing or whatever we were doing, where it would have been almost impossible to restrain him was probably the only part of his day where he felt safe. And I think that's why I started to see him thriving in those environments. So I, I think you made an interesting point. when you see you talk about that in the beginning and it's just started to circle back on it, but it's just, no, no, you're fine.
0: Yeah, no, I, I just wanted to say like with Ryan, because like, I, I, you know, again, our stories are so different, but very parallel in some ways. And, you know, I, I, again, I was in those classes with those visually impaired kids and like, as you were saying, like there's some kids in there very smart, but they're kind of, they've come drones. Like they just fall into the wayside, like, because they are told that they're not going to be anything or they, they, they believe what these, pa- these teachers are telling them because they're older and they, um, they are supposed to know better. We're just, we're, we're just being guided along and they're, you know, on their you know, classes And if we are told one thing, well, we should probably believe it, but it is always one or two of us that just kind of poke our head up and go like, what, 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 I don't understand. Like, why are we still doing this? And, and that's when you start to see them out in the, in, in the job market. That's why there is so many of us that are unemployed because we don't believe we go through this whole rigmarole for so long. We end up believing all the things that we were told for so long that we're just not good enough and we're stupid and all that. And then, And again, there's a few of us like Ryan that are just saying, no, this is silly. Like, why, why are we doing this? Like we have to, and that's why it's so key for us to advocate and constantly speak up and show how powerful we can be, we can be because it's, it's tiring and it's so sad as much as I, I don't want to see detest, but as much as I see some of these, these kids or these now grown people, I see them and I see where they, where they are and, and how lackluster their lives are at this point i completely understand because i almost became one of them and i mm-hmm. when i speak up for for me and i speak up for ryan and i speak up for the people i've had on the show i speak up for them too because i feel sorry for them because i and again I, maybe that's not what they want but i feel terrible because i wish we never had to go through that i wish no one had to go through that because it's, it's so depressing to watch these people that are just they don't believe in themselves whatsoever and it's just because of it's what they were taught um,
2: yeah and I think that one thing that was really interesting that you said earlier that I've just been thinking about this whole time since is how you were able to do the work even though it was a little bit more challenging for you because of the way you had to read the page or look at it closer just with the visual impairment but you were getting straight A's yeah. and you know, a lot of who our book speaks to is like you know this generation of Spectrum disorders, right? You know the the ADHDs, the autism spectrum disorders, all these things that have kind of come out in full force. Where you're just a, a little bit off normal. You're not totally disabled, but you're clearly not what they would call as neurotypical. Right. Um, but as a result, you end up going through this whole process that can just be so damaging. But I never thought about it that it could be that way for people with physical disabilities too
0: yeah.
2: Uh, you know people have trouble walking, have trouble seeing, have trouble hearing you know that's just one aspect of you, your brain might work better than other people who are you know can see just fine and are in those classes, they might not be nearly as smart as you or as able to do the work or as dedicated to finishing it but yet you're the one who gets treated differently it just it expands yeah. the list of people who are affected by these systems
1: well, yeah, I, I, as i listen to you as i listen to you both what's the commonality of who's affected? It's that you're harder to teach right you're going to be more work for a school system or for a town and and you know the unwillingness to, to do that work results in them blaming you right you guys are the problem you know it's your yeah. fault and we got to medicate you we got to send you out of the district you know it's, it's you know and then and, you know the parents have to do that extra work too and, and it took us a while to get there so i mean i'll, I'll, I'll you know i'll blame myself especially when ryan was younger but it, re- it really is i think you know where it, when it manifests itself in school you know for both sides. It seemed like the same the same thing
2: i think that's a challenging thing too with schools because like if you think about it you know how many people do you know who are just trying to do a job they just want to clock out at five o'clock and go right. Right. Yeah. i wonder i wonder You know, that applies to all careers. That could be teachers too, you know, like that could be doctors, you know, there might there might be people who are really just not trying to go that extra mile for anybody. So it's easier for them to just like stamp you and send you off to the next school or institution or wherever. Yeah. And what you really need is you need those dedicated people who we met along the way who who saw something in you and were like, Hang on, like you guys are doing this all wrong.
0: Yeah, and I it, one of the things people don't understand because they look at people with disabilities, regardless of what it is, um, they look at us like uh, we're a liability, and it, it's it's so far from the truth. Like, yeah, if you mishandle it, sure. If you put a blind guy, you know, in a forklift job, sure, that's mishandling it. But like, there is ways around everything. There really is. Technology has changed so much for all of us that it there is no real excuse. And the reality is, you give somebody. Who, um, with a disability, a real chance, they're going to prove you right because they have to prove them that they're themselves right first because of all the mental, mm-hmm. you know, harassing that they went through from just kids or, or grownups. And they have to prove to themselves that they can do it themselves because again, 75% of us are unemployed. Um, and you know, there's some of us that refuse to listen to that statistic and don't want to be a statistic, but, it's hard not to ignore. And, and so when we get into a job and when we can prove ourselves right, it's like, wow, like now again, it also inspires people. Because if you're a person who has full sight or you, you're, you you know, we have full hearing or you can walk, so on, you um, you can watch this person do something with, you know, whatever their impairment is. It inspires them, even if they don't outwardly say it. You can, you can motivate people just based on how powerful you are by just doing things that they couldn't fathom doing with what you lack. Um, yeah.
2: yeah. And that was a lot of what happened to me when I went back to um, high school, when I went back to Lincoln Center Republic. Uh, essentially, you know, for years, we had been saying, like, you know, I can be back in the school. They were looking at me like, no, you know, you're a liability. Like, you're clearly, you're unstable. You... you You might hurt somebody if you're back in the school. I'm like, why would I hurt somebody if I was back in that school? All I want is to be there. Why would I ever jeopardize that opportunity? What you're not getting is that I'm not some kid who is just violent. I respond that way when the teachers try to put their hands on me because I'm traumatized by it. And the second I'm removed from that environment where they're allowed to put their hands on me, that's going to go away. (laughs) And nobody wanted to listen to us. They wanted to blame it on me and not on the administration. And ultimately after, you know, going to, you know, four different schools, having like an intermediate step where I was doing, you know, one class at uh at Octon Boxborough High School, uh, they finally agreed to give me a forty-five day evaluation and if I screwed up at any point at, at LS, they were gonna pull me. And we had a meeting at the end of that evaluation and all of my teachers came in to talk about what a pleasure I was to have in class. There were no issues in those 45 days. In fact, the only issue in those 45 days was that they moved me into a class, uh, an advanced math class because they thought I was too smart uh, for the one I was in. And I was trying to, so hard to keep up with the work, and I could understand the concept. It's just the class moved too fast for me to catch up with everybody else. And I was taking a test, and I I didn't know all the material, and I was on the verge of tears because I was so scared that if I didn't pass this test, they were going to use it as an excuse for me to not pass the 45-day evaluation. And it was just all of those years of trauma of just having people use the smallest thing to tell me why I couldn't be a part of society and I'm like this is it. If only they hadn't moved me to this class I'd get to stay. And of course I was back in the real world and it was just a test. Half those kids in there probably failed it anyway and they just moved me back to the other class right So I ended up getting to stay and I ended up proving all of them wrong but it was so hard to just get that opportunity to show I was right.
0: Yeah, I bet that was a real proud moment because I know I had a moment in 11th grade where, you know, I, I'm still trying to get over people not believing me and telling me that I couldn't even go to this school. The only school I could go to is this visually impaired school where they just kind of send you and you just kind of sit there and you rot. You just you don't really make anything yourself. They, you know, t- they barely teach you high school work. And now I'm in 11th grade and I'm like second in the entire school. In grades, and I, I I went under the radar because I was no, I was very shy and kind of I had my friends, but I was very awkward, socially awkward to some degree. So that when they announced everyone's grades and then mine came up, everyone turned around and was like him. And it, like, inside, I was, inside, I was smiling so much. If I wasn't so awkward, I would have yelled and just screamed and, you know, whatever, say something, probably not good. I would have got me suspended. <laughs> but <laughs> inside, I was just, I was just gleaming my, like, I was just smiling out, out of nowhere because it was just, I was so happy because I knew that I, not only proved a lot of people wrong, I also proved myself wrong, and I proved a lot of those teachers and so on, and so, there's that moment where you kind of just even if it, even if it's small to some people, to us it's not. It's like holy shit, we we really overcame so much because we we have so many dark days, or we just felt like this is it, like our, it's pointless, like life sucks. You know, we're just we're you know we're not good enough. We're you know whatever we're broken, and then you do something that's better than most people, at least in your you know your contemporaries, the people that you're compared to that are on your level and you outshine them too, or you are at least as good as them, it's like, wow, see, I could do this the whole time, even with what I lack. And you just feel so good inside.
1: That's so well said. There's a powerful moment in the book where, where Ryan talks about his reluctance to make friends when he finally got back to high school because he had been told for so long that he was broken, that, you know, he, he felt as if, you know, any of those friendships would would be broken too. He'd be doing those people a disservice, you know. And then as he, and this was this coincided with uh, a therapist who finally took him off all the medication. He was on seroquel, lithium, uh, Prozac, and he he was, you know, his he, been his emotions had been, you know, sort of damped down for so long that when it when he finally started to come off that and and really realize his full self and 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 recognize that you know maybe there was nothing wrong with him from the beginning and that he was he was someone that people would want to be friends with. It really did change his outlook. And I think it reminds me of your story a lot. That's very similar where you finally realize you have something to offer. You're going to go out and offer it. You know, if, if you're told you don't, then you're going to start to believe that. And that, that was, that was a big factor. In his, in his life for sure.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I really love the, the parallels between our, our story because it's so different, but it, it's not hard. Again, I don't go into a lot of these stories, like knowing much. I just try to get to know you. And then, See where it goes, but if you have empathy and you have you have a little life experience, it's not hard to compare some of these things. Even if it's not disability to disability, it could be some sort of trauma period. And obviously, him and I have gone through a lot of similar things, but also not. And um, it, it it's easy to because again, I I've said this at nauseam like so many times, but it it it's it's just so weird that we are all defined in this one category where our logo is a guy in a wheelchair. Yet neither of us are in a wheelchair. So it's like, and it's nothing wrong with being in a wheelchair. There's none, nothing wrong with it, but that is what defines both of us. So when somebody says yeah. handicap or disability, that's what they look at, a little stick figure in a wheelchair. And he and I went through totally different, you know, we went through different stories. We have two different, totally different conditions. Uh, two different body parts are, the, are a problem. And neither of them has put us in a wheelchair unless, you know, we were sicker or whatever and we had to be wheelchaired out. And just because that's the protocol, but
1: yeah, yeah. So we went through that in the book it, 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 when we were the, the, the publisher was editing the book you know a couple of times I referred to Ryan as being in a special needs school or you know was a special needs student and you know that term has now changed to disability or personal disability and I was a little uncomfortable I don't know if he has a disability I don't think he does I mean I think yeah. anything, he, was, he was mislabeled as having something and it, and it, it colored the rest of his childhood and you know, it, it it felt unfair to me because I think I look at people who ha, you know who, who have much greater struggles than he had, and and that, that just seemed like to lump everybody together just seemed wrong. So, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. Yeah,
2: I don't know if this is the way I should think about it, but I've always I've always heard that word. I think you know somebody somebody who is is limited in that they're not able to do a certain thing, whether that's walk or see or hear or you know talk, uh, and I I look at what I have and I I don't really feel like I'm limited in that way. Like I don't, I'm not, nothing I have prevents me from doing anything. Uh, I just have to get there a different way than some people do. I just, I just think about things a little bit differently. I'm I'm just quirky. And I felt like that was unfair because I didn't want, I didn't want to claim that label because, I didn't want to take away from people who have a way harder life than I do and have accomplished things.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. But that that I you know I, I thrive in that though. Is like trying to find other ways of doing things because I I did a couple thing videos on Instagram, just little things like oh, how do I put my keys in my lock? Okay, so I hold the door and I put my finger on the the lock and uh, or over the lock, and then I just take my key, put my and just remove my finger and I open it. Um, because my uh, depth perception is off, it's hard for me to see the hole. Like some people can just immediately just take their key and they're coordinated enough to just stick it right in the lock. Well, I can't do that because I can't really – I can see the hole, but it's blurry. So I just was showing them little methods and just tiny little things that I do on my daily basis or just if I see a bunch of steps, I can't exactly see how many – you know how do I find the top of the steps? I just go near, I see the banister, and I slide my foot until it it slides off. And I go, okay, there's the top, and then I can just go down the steps. Boom! Just little methods of solving little tiny problems um, with with what I lack. But it it's it humbles you every day. Like you get used to it, you realize what your challenges are, but then it gives you something to overcome, even if it's not the way you know your dad or someone else would do it. It's the way you would do it. You still overcame it. It doesn't matter how you did it. You know, some people used to say like, oh, you have these, um, you get extra time for your SATs and things. Oh, you're lucky. It's like, really? Do I? Am I lucky? <laughs> like, thank God. I, I mean, because there's some things that just like my eyes will get tired of staring at the this machine we have called a CCTV and it blows things up and you can read under it, and you can scroll through. It has like a little slider and you scroll your book or whatever you're reading and it, it tires you. It gives you headaches. Uh, it blurs your vision. After a while, just like anything with your cell phone or anything. And um, so, yeah, I get a little extra time, but it's I genuinely need it. But once I get that, I, f- I can get it done. And it's like, however it works for me, works for me. Just like however something works for Ryan. I can't tell him to do something my way because he has better vision than me. So it, it, it's just, but it, it's a challenge and it gives you something to, again, sometimes, I will say, sometimes I'm not going to make it all positive because some days it's like, oh, come on. Like, can I just, can something go right? But also at the same time, there's when you do overcome it, it 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 feels fulfilling. I don't know how it does for you, Ryan, but that's how it is for me.
2: Yeah, and I I feel like it it depends, you know. A lot of times I feel like I have to I have to figure out how my brain is gonna best perceive certain information and it it's a little bit a little bit less Exciting, a little bit uh, more boring the way I, I deal with things, but I, you know, I get stressed when things are in really small or, yeah, screw that up. I get stressed when things are in really large chunks, so I have to break them up into smaller, approachable tasks. And I'm just a very task oriented person, so if I have a defined start and end for what I'm looking to do, I can just crank through it. But if things are really open-ended, you know, like right now, I have I have an essay that I, I need to do at some point. And the assignment is just like, pick something related to this era of history, create a thesis, and write about it. And that's really challenging for me because like at this point, my thesis could be anything. The end of that paper could be anything. So I, I've learned that I need to talk to somebody and just, like, see the ideas. And then I, once I bounce the ideas back and forth, I can then pick a thesis. And then once I have it, it's going to take me, like, an hour to write the paper. Uh, But before I knew those things about myself, it was really hard for me to to be in school, in English classes. I mean, imagine that. I was, like, a a C, borderline D student in in English class. Um, And I'm a published author now. You know, clearly, it wasn't that I was, too dumb to do the work. I just needed to find a way to approach that work that worked for me because I can clearly read and write just fine and at a pretty advanced level. Um, So once you figure out those little nuances to how your mind perceives information, Mm -hmm. it, it can be rewarding because then you just find a new way to attack these tasks that everybody in life has to deal with. We all have to do really annoying, tedious tasks.
0: In our lives Sure yeah, yeah Absolutely No Like I said There's definitely days Where my depression Will kick in And You know I'm just looking for An easy way of doing something And then The eye stuff gets in the way And it's like oh, Alright Gotta go do it the long way Um mm-hmm. And Yeah <laughs> it's, it's, It sucks It does I'm not gonna act like Everything's Happy Because I, I I talk about mental health A lot And you know I have those days Where I'm just I'm I'm tired of my condition I hate it Um, am I embarrassed about it or shameful about it anymore? No, I just, there's some days it's just like, not today, just not today, tomorrow. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, but you gotta, you gotta learn to laugh at yourself. You gotta learn how to just cope with it. However you can, the older you get, um, the more it gets, it gets easier. It's just, there's, yeah, there's just days that just aren't as fun.
1: Um, well, I think the key, and I'll ask you, Timothy, is you found something you're really good at. I mean, you're great at this. I mean, you're, you're just oh, you. you're a great conversationalist, and you're, you're, you're just easy to talk to. And, you know, for Ryan, you know, when, when he started to ski, and he was just gifted. He was just natural at it. He was really, you know, I was a beginner myself. but He got so much better than me so quickly that, you know, for the first, you know, seven or eight years when we ski together, he was in charge of me. I mean, he was in charge of my safety, all of our decisions he made and whether we should do a certain run or not. I mean, he was, he was the guy in charge and it was, it's, that's the interesting, I think part of the story, because here's a kid who couldn't go to the bathroom on his own in public school or in therapy school. You know, he had to have a monitor every time he left the room. And, you know, we were in mountains out West that, you know, people do die on. I mean, the bad things can happen. And, and he was eight, nine, 10 years old, making all of the decisions. And he just, you know, it wasn't that he was just talented on the skis, but he researched everything about it. He made good decisions. He embraced, you know, everything from snow science to weather to, you know, certain, you know, slopes, angles, And, and he could look at my ability and say, you know, Dad, you got this one. And I think that was, you know, when he found that thing, it just slowly, his confidence built you know, so much on the slopes, but then it started to carry over into, into other parts of life. And, and, and I'm you kind know, of curious if you found the same thing, that when you find your, your passion or that you're good at, that it, it offsets some of those other things that have been struggles over the years.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. But also it helps to meet people like you guys and, and so many other people with disabilities and just traumas because it, it makes me understand what I went through that, uh, again, feeling less alone is, is so key when you're a kid and, and, you know, you're in these institutions, you're in these places where they just make you feel so small and, you know, whether you're weird or you're whatever, or something wrong with you, mm-hmm. it's so key to find something that makes you happy and you hold on to it. Because, again, in, in, the older you get, just kind of going to the mental health part of it, some people hold on to some really large things. It's like, oh, my family, this and that. And that's great. But some people don't have great family. Some people don't have uh, a, a best friend. They need something, and, and, and you know. Sometimes holding on to an artist that you like, their next album is coming out in two months. You are holding on to two months to live because that's something you want to listen. Well, in two months, anything can happen. Same thing if it's mm-hmm. any any form of entertainment or anything, anything that you are holding on to, even if it's so small, you want to live. You want you you are something you want that's gonna make you happy. Um, it's a gradual thing, and eventually, time starts to expand. Maybe you forget about it less and less, you're not as committed to it because sometimes we make impulse decisions. There's people I guarantee you, if you could talk to them after they kill themselves, they will tell you, I, you know, like just like how a lot of people jump off the Golden Gate Bridge and they immediately regret it when they don't Mm -hmm. die. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot like that where it's just like you, you know that like you can't make these impulse decisions. That's why a lot of times when I do things now, even if something bothers me to my core, I tend to sit on it for a minute. But I don't want to sit on it for too long because my anxiety will kick in and I'll sit there and, I'll, and I'll, it'll eat me alive. So I have to deal with it. It, when it when it comes to conversing with a person, whether it's at work or something. Um, and so, yeah, it helps to like, for me, of founding, finding the podcast, but I always found little things, little escapes, whether it's entertainment or my toys or whatever. Um, I've had to, because, you know, depression can eat you alive and, and, um, and, and, yeah, and you know, go ahead, Ryan.
2: The escape, but I feel like another thing that I'm a big advocate for, and I found this by accident through the escape is that I'm a big advocate that everybody has some, in their life that they can work on where, you know, they'll see progress in their own terms that directly relates to the effort they put in. And, you know, the way I describe that is like, okay, if you're, if you're in a team sport, you know, you, you might be throwing a baseball uh, around and you might be a pitcher. Let's say you're the best pitcher ever. If you're, if your team loses the game, You know, you might still feel like a loser, but a lot of these these individual skills where there is no winning, there is no losing, it's just, did you do it well? Do you feel like you did it well? That can be so good for you because what I've started to internalize is like with skiing and with climbing, they're very hard activities. They take a long time to master. Mm -hmm. But as I've put in this effort over the years and as I've dedicated myself to getting better at this craft, you have these moments throughout time where you're like wow all of that effort became something and you take that back into your everyday life you're just you carry yourself that way that you know you are the person who you know your body was able to climb 512 with 4 years of effort you managed to do this thing that very few people have the fitness and the technique to do and you start applying it to these other things. Like, okay, if I'm, clearly I'm a capable person. Clearly when I put in effort, it becomes results. All of these other things that I have to do just as a human that lives in a society can't be that hard. And, you know, I can do it. Sure. And you can become a person with a lot of confidence even if you started as a, a person with none because you build that self-efficacy through that activity.
0: Yeah. For sure, and and this is something I've talked about a lot is when it comes to having bad days, whether it's mentally or physically. You know, the, the the older and the more adapted you become with what whatever it is that's ailing you, it gets easier. Like you know, like for me, when I say like mental health days, and a lot of times my eye days are also attached to it. So if I'm having a bad eye day, it can really take me down mentally. Um But when I when I am able to come out of these, especially the mental days, they don't last as long. They're not months. They're not weeks. They may be hours. They may be 24 hours, but usually the next day I can wake up, smile and, and just be over it. Uh, and sometimes we need to cry. Sometimes we need a day to just kind of live in, in whatever, in, in memory. And just the, the, things that we've had to just, we, sometimes we for, kind of forget where we started from and how bad it was in order to appreciate where we are currently. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to understand it because you've been dealing with this for so long and so much life still goes on. You still have to try to work. You still have to eat. You still have to shower. You still have to do all these things. And then you, you blink and all of a sudden 10 years went by and you're like, Oh, okay. This and this and this and that. And then you're like, wow, like you just, you completely like, you're just so like enamored with what is going on right in front of you that you don't really remember what was behind you. And then you realize how far you've come. I'm sure doing these interviews and Obviously, just the relationship with your father and just obviously you can't forget about where you came from. So when you actually able to sit and think about it, you can you can really start to love yourself more and realize like, OK, like this sucked at one point. Even even when life can suck, because life's things are going to happen in your life. It's still going to suck. Um, but if you can sit there and just appreciate where like the journey where you've been, because it, it always gets worse. And I have pictures of me as a kid where I didn't have skin. Um, and, and, and nearly it was, it was on my deathbed and I could look at them and go like, okay, whatever you're feeling today is not feeling what that kid felt. Yeah, it was you at one point, but it's like, you're not feeling that now. So just be happy that you, you have your own place, be happy that you have your own bank account. You're not counting on anybody. You're not breathing through tubes and, and so on and so on. And it's easy to just look at that and, and just, you know, um, Look at the person that I used to be and, and you know, an innocent four year old that nearly died and now I'm I'm thirty years later. And though it may be not the life I mean, like I imagined, but I'm doing way better than what that kid's doing. So that
1: perspective yeah. is just so
2: important. And I, I feel like I I get that a lot with these with these mountain sports where a lot of times you can get really dated to it. Uh, where you're just focused on this one little incremental bit of progress, and like you must be so awful at it, if you can't attain this one little bit of progress, you know why can't I stick this move? Why can't I see this faster? And you're just, I just have to step back sometimes, and I can remember like there was, there was a younger me that would have, like fought tooth and nail, done anything to be who I am now. Right. And I, I'm living in the dreams of young to So, this little incremental bit of progress, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I've succeeded in my own eyes and on my own terms. This is just a bonus, you know? And, like, I'm, I'm already doing something that, like, the majority of people would perceive as impossible to them. And I'm sure you have moments like that, too, where you're just like, you know, when I was younger, I, I i wished for this i wanted this and, and now like this way that i'm able to manage my life and this way that i am is my reality so even if i can't get this next piece it's okay
1: yeah, yeah. It's so it's so inspiring listening to you both you know as someone who's had you know frankly none of these challenges that either of you had and has had it fairly easy in life i have to say you know it's still easy even when it's easy to get wrapped up in, in, in the next thing and worry about the next hurdle. And, I, and I'm someone who's always, always worrying about the next thing. And, you know, this, this journey that we went on that, that brought us to the mountains and this, you know, I, I found this healing aspect to nature and particularly with being, you know, there were moments when, when Ryan was out of the wharf at home and we would get out there and be on a chairlift and, you know, you can't really look at your phone. Your, you know, you have gloves on your hands. It's cold, and you know you have nothing to do but just sit in the quiet and talk and and look around and, and see what you're seeing. And, and you know, it's it's those little moments that you know. The older I get, I'm 54. You know, I'm so appreciative that that I've had, and I have to still, even though I know that I have to look for those, I still have to force myself to look for those because. You know, we live in this rat race where it just never stops, right? And your phone never stops. And yep. it's, it's so easy to lose yourself in that and, and forget. Like, every day is a gift. And if you don't appreciate it, you, you just, you know, you're wasting time. So I've learned from you guys just in this conversation. i certainly learned from Ryan my whole life, but, uh, his whole life. But uh, it's been just interesting to get your perspective as well, Timothy. really inspired by, by you. And uh, I mean, thank you for sharing so much with, of with your story, too.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, I, I mean, you're welcome, Ryan. I, I just, it, it's hard because I know I'm repeating myself a lot of times to other people because I don't get to talk to everyone uh, too deep until we just do the podcast. Of course, we can become friends and keep in touch and support each other and all that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like the way to even, to, you know, again, I don't know you guys, but to make someone like Ryan feel comfortable knowing that, like, hey, man, like, I, we may be different, but I, I want you to feel comfortable because I've been through a lot of similar things that you've been through um i don't want you to think that like you know like again just because you have a learning disability doesn't make you any different than me with a visual disability because i've been considered slow and and mistreated and sent other schools and other that and um and you might not think that i would but it's it's all you know connected um before we do go though i wanted to kind of like why why skiing what what was that you know like what why you were so connected to that what made you like it kind of changed your whole outlook on, on life
2: I just meshed with it so well pretty quickly. And my love for it grew over time, but I don't know. It's hard to explain. Um, the, the first moment, I, the only way I can explain it is we had tried so many other things that didn't make me feel that way. And this was like the first time I had felt something that I was certain, like, I love this, you know, I really, I, there's, been other things that have done similar things to me in my life. You know, I've discovered climbing and hiking, and uh, I I love those things equally. Um, but skiing has always been my favorite, and I just knew from the moment I did it, I was like,
1: this is what I love, this is what I want to do. And there's a randomness to the story, you know, just in I, you know, I skied a little bit as a kid when the YMCA bus took us to this little hill from, from our town and, and but hadn't skied in 25 years and Ryan you know, was was the hard kid like we talked about and you know, when things would when we stopped restraining him and when things would fall apart in the house or he'd fight his sister, distraction was usually what my go to and I would just try to get him out of the house and we would go to Home Depot and walk around and buy some giant pipe wrench that I never needed because he always had to have the biggest and most expensive thing or whatever anything he got his eye on it that, that he had to have, you know we would we would end up with. And this one particular day I just I, I, we had gone to this soccer birthday party place and it was near the ski hill, and I don't know, maybe I just filed it away and for some reason something just drew me there. and I said, you know what I want to try skiing today and threw him in the car and put a bike helmet on him and threw some coat you know coat and gloves. and, and I you know everything had failed to this point, so I never thought we'd even get through the rental process and you know we, we made it through that and we ended up on the magic carpet which is just some airport people mover that takes you up the bunny slope when we got to the top of that and and i looked at him and i hadn't told him anything about how to ski because i never thought we'd get that far you know i thought we would have a meltdown long before that and i started to explain to him how to turn how to stop and he just ignored me looked and just shot down to the bottom of the hill never made a turn he went straight down and then he veered right at the end he made this big bank turn back to the lift like he had done it a hundred times before i mean nobody does that in the first like everybody falls a hundred times the first time and he just it just he looked so natural doing it and and you know we had a good couple hours there and i remember driving out of there and thinking you know that wasn't awful like did nothing bad happened you know we hadn't had that experience before that's where the bar was set it just wasn't awful and and Luckily, we, you know, we were able to build on it, but it was there was a randomness to it, but, you know, maybe not, I don't know, it even fate or whatever. But it just, something drew me there that day, and, and it changed the course of both our lives.
0: Sure. Now, were you guys able to kind of talk about, like, all the things, you know, the holding down and all that? Were you guys, I mean, you know, I'm sure there was some sort of harsh feelings and obviously some regret on you, Rob. Like, was there was there ever a conversation you guys had about, you know, how things were mishandled? Uh, when he was young
1: so it's interesting. i'll jump in when we when we did the, we decided to write the book and ryan you know had to face the decision to really go public with the story and, and have to live with it forever you know it was it was i think that was the, the biggest hurdle for him uh, but i think he was fueled by the hope that the story would help other people and so we wrote separately i wrote I did this long draft and then, you know, Ryan, I gave him a list of the things I was going to write about. And he wrote his draft and we wrote for a period of months. And then when we finally exchanged drafts I mean, his was, I thought was great. And he really covered everything. And, um, you know, there was some, there was some stuff stuff that I wish he had forgotten that he clearly remembered. And it was hard to, hard to read, but you know, my version he hated because really as he described it, it was like a long apology letter to him. I was, I, I felt so bad about, you know, how I, you know, how his life had been, you know, it had taken a turn and it really was, you know, my wife and I making a decision to put him in that therapeutic school that, that did that. And I, and I wanted him to know that he could have had all these things and his life could have been so much different because he was at a, you know, he'd gone to a place, gotten to a place where it was pretty good, but I kept thinking, well, if we'd never taken him off to begin with, imagine where he'd be now. And, and, you know, when he read that, he was so disappointed in my draft and and he kept saying, you know, this isn't a sad story. This isn't, you know, I, I went through some stuff, but look where I ended up. And I'm the person I am because of what I went through. And so I think those conversations we were able to have as we worked through different drafts and as I sort of changed the tone of my version to, to really, you know, jive with his, that it was, it, you know, listen, this happened. I made a mistake. You know, my wife and I listened to the experts. We shouldn't have. And, and you know, I, I wish we hadn't, but, you know, we, we did right the ship. We did figure out, that, that we were we were going down the wrong path and we did change change you know course and we did fight hard to to have the town change and i think he appreciated that and you know but i am i am i am sort of touched you know as i read his version and as we've as our relationship has progressed that he doesn't seem to have any hard feelings and he doesn't harbor any resentment and he and he's he's, he's very empathetic with what we went through and that we were just trying to do our best as parents and there's no handbook on this thing and you're the first kid especially you'd you know, you're just trying to do your best and, you know, we're not perfect people. And, and I think that's the honesty in both our, you know, approaches in our writing and in our, in know, the way we deal with each other has is, is made things, I think we've, we've gotten to a, a really good place. I mean, we always were a good place. I think we're, 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 we're <coughs> as, close, as close as friends, I think, as a, as a father and son can be. And and that's, and that's pretty rare. I mean, we really, we do like spending time with each other and, and, and you know, I think that's, that's pretty special.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and I think that was really, it came out in his version. It wasn't even that I disliked that it was an apology. It was that in his version, in order to to prove his thesis on how, you know, I could have had all these things and the school ruined it. And he felt bad that he had a role in that. You know, he had to kind of burn me in the story. You know, at the end, it was kind of about how I had this sad life and that I could have all been avoided. I just didn't feel like I had this sad life. He didn't need to apologize to me because I didn't ever blame him for it. But I never told him that. You know, I'd always – I blamed the schools for what they had done to me. I was frustrated with the system for making it so hard for me to get out of that. But I never – was one to pass blame i just hoped it would change and that was really that was the crux of it was
1: just
2: you know he had perceived it for all this time and we had never had the conversation and it it just forced us to have it you know we, we accepted it was over we were glad that it was over and i i never knew he had thought these things and he never knew i felt the way i did so it was it was kind of cathartic and Brought forward a necessary conversation that I didn't know was that necessary.
0: Yeah, no, but I, I one of the reasons why I like, I mean, it, it's kind of a perfect story to have both of you because, you know, there's there's some kids that can't speak for themselves, so I end up having to talk to the parents, um, or I've done separate ones, one with the parent, one with uh, the child, or, or whatever they are at this point, an adult, and um, it's it's key because the parents are the most affected by our conditions, um, other than us. And and for the good parents, the ones that are you know with us through the whole thing, and and they they see they suffer just like we do, just maybe not as physically, uh, or maybe you know because of stress and, and depression and things. But in general, they're the ones that are most affected because they see everything we go through, and we did come out of them. And it's, it, it's it's hard on them. And they go through a lot of it. It's good to see, especially when, when you both make it to, you're an adult now, and your father and you guys have repaired the small parts that were a problem in your relationship. Now you guys can, you know, live life and be as close as you can. And same with your mother. Um, just... Because again, like how affected everybody was in this situation, no one really gets to see the other side of it. Even I'm sure, even your father's probably like, well, you know, I, but I never didn't had to go through what he did, but he did have to go through something. And and you know, I saw what my mom went through. My mom went through the, the ringer with me. She sat there every day when I was in the hospital, and and though she didn't have to go through all the physical pain that I went through, she went through a lot of trauma of nearly watching her child die, and that. You know, and at the time she didn't have another kid. She ended up having my sister later in life, but um, I know how that affected her and, and it could scar her as well because to see her kid, you know, nearly dying, it, it can't feel good. Um, and
2: so, it, it, yeah. you know, that's
1: definitely,
2: you know, I mean, just shut the door in my roommates just came back, and yeah, it, it, that, it's, just, it's a terrible thing, and, you know, it, it affects everybody. And I just, I remember having hard days where he would, you know, say things to me, just like, you know, like, about how much it affected him when I was upset. And sometimes I was just like, well, why do you have to care? Why do you have to care that I'm having a bad day? I wish it was just me. Like, I I felt guilty at times because I felt like, you know, me, me being in such a dark place was putting other people in a dark place Yeah, because they were just about me and I I wish it was just isolated and it was only affecting me but the reality is it was affecting everybody Um, and I'm just I'm happy that we're in a better place now and get to look at this through the other side and hopefully help some people with this book
0: yeah absolutely man I, I will say like one more thing I will say like You know, I said this on here, I don't know if I ever added to it, but I I said for a long time, for at least five years, when I was in my worst depression days, I felt like the only reason I was alive was for my mother and my grandmother because they were the ones Mm -hmm. that were by my side and they supported me. And, um, you know, without them, I probably would have been dead um, through any of it because I just, I had given up physically. And, and, you know, they say, you know, if you're mentally giving up physically, your body probably will as well. And so if I didn't have them at the same time, I probably would have given up a long time ago, whether it was killing myself or my body, just giving out Um, just later in life. When I became, you know, a young adult as when I was really going through my worst of days and I looked at both of them and I didn't want them to see the kind of pain I was in. But there was a part of me, like what you said, where I felt like, God, like I wish you not necessarily were dead, but I wish you didn't exist in my life to some degree because I don't want to see you go through. I don't want you to see me hurting because I know it hurts you. I'd rather just hurt alone. Um, but, you know, obviously, thank God for them, because if we didn't have them, who knows how our story would have played out? Probably much differently, uh, much worse, even.
1: Um, exactly. I hear, from, I hear from a lot of parents now, and, and particularly the dads, you know, I get these emails and long messages. And I can always tell the ones that, that bleed it, you know, they bleed with their kids. You know, it just comes through in their emails and. It, you know, I always said, you're only, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And I think if, if that's your mantra as a parent, you know, you do feel everything that they feel and, and not in a helicopter way or so. Well, you don't want to prevent them from having pain because I think that's a mistake. Parents make, they, they just they want to package them so much that, that they never experience anything, any discomfort. And then that just sets them up for failure later in life. You know, we, my wife and I let both our kids, you know, have, have these experiences and have successes and have failures but that doesn't mean you don't feel them when they fail you know you just it just it eats you up inside and you talk and turn all night and and you wish it was in you wish it was you you know let it be me let it be me that has it's not him or her you know it's it's, sure. it's not an easy thing to be a parent but it's a great thing it's the best thing it's just it's, it's just not that easy
0: uh, i'd be remiss to say like before we get out of here because i want you guys to promote your book and everything. Um. Might as well give a little love to your mother, since you know she also played a part in this. I'm assuming, and um,
1: she did. She and, definitely did. I mean, she, you know, and you know, she, we had another child. I mean, Abigail. You know, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, was raised by Mary Beth when I was with Ryan, and and they they have you know a really good relationship, and you know, Mary Beth kept the house moving and kept things, you know organized and you know when we were on trips and we were away you know it was her that was here holding down the floor and she was you know she's really good with the doctors and with the schools and the paperwork end of this thing and and you know was really critical of some of the decisions in a, in a more legalistic way i tend to react more emotionally she was a little more you know measured in her approach and it was effective i mean so she she, she you know she kept things together too
0: yeah fantastic um yeah you guys i want you to promote your book and anything else you want to promote at this point in time um you know so we can finish up and i can let you guys go do your thing
1: i'll do the book first the book is without restraint uh it's it's published by falcon guide which is a division of roman and littlefield uh you can find it on amazon everywhere there's a couple of Stranger Books, also named Without Restraint, but ours is pretty obvious. It's the one that doesn't have to do with the uh, bondage or anything weird. So if you find a Without Restraint book by Robert and Ryan Delana and it's got a picture of a skier in Antarctica on the cover. Yes, we've been to Antarctica. Um, it's a great story. It's a, it's a story about, you know, not just about skiing. It's, it's really about... You know a father-son relationship, and about a kid who, who, you know, endured a lot to end up where he is. It, it's a really it, the feedback's been great. If you look at the Amazon reviews, people really like it. So buy it, and then, you know, then send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from people who read it, especially. Awesome. For sure. Awesome. So I want you to can, plug your social media and everything.
2: You can find me on uh, Instagram at extreme underscore ryan underscore delana. I'm usually posting a lot of adventure stuff but these days i've been posting a little bit more about the book you can also find me on youtube as uh as ryan delana over there uh i've been doing more you know 10-15 minute narrative style edits of some of the adventures i go on uh, and that's just a good way to connect with what i'm doing now
0: Awesome. Well, I, I honestly, I thank you guys for coming on. I hope you guys keep in touch. Um, Ryan, if you ever need a friend when you're going through your shit, please call me anytime, text me. Um, but, uh, and Rob, like I said, anytime, And you need anything, just, you know, holler. And, Definitely,
1: no. It was, it was amazing to hear your story, and I'm sorry for everything that you went through, the abilities that, that, that Brian had, and there's like, some forgotten kids in the system, and I think you're to thank God for people like you who, who don't forget about them.
0: Yeah, can't, I don't, you know, it's impossible to, honestly, like I said, uh, I've said it on here many times, I can come on here and just talk my catch lane here with me, me and I can just have a conversation, but it's not going to get anything done, I don't want to sit here and talk about politics or any of the nonsense that's going on, I'd rather talk about real issues that really affect us, and, you know, there's there's yep. many Ryans out there, there's many Me's out there, and I just yep. try to get their voices out there, because they're the ones that aren't heard, Um yeah. You know, But, yeah, thank you guys again. I appreciate you guys for coming on, and uh, I'll let you guys know when the episode comes out. It'll be a little while, but um, we will. uh, you'll be the first ones to know. I'll put all the links and everything in, and like I said, we'll keep in touch and support each other.
1: That sounds great. Amazing.
0: Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you, buddy. Rob, thank you, buddy, for making it all come together. Great
1: to meet you. Same here. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon.
0: See you guys. All right. Bye-bye. Hi, right, guys. Um, sorry, I actually cut it off because I didn't think we were going to keep talking so much, but so there's a little bit that uh, it's going to be cut off, so not too much. It was like 15 seconds, but um, thank you for all being here with me. I'm sorry if I for the clicking. I think that has something to do with the three-way calling on this thing. Um, I'm supposed to use this cable that I have, but I couldn't find it. Um, it's somewhere in here. Um, I was supposed to actually hook it to my phone. I guess it's supposed to have better service when you do three-way calling. So that that's my bad. I still think it was really good. There's just some clicking. And, of course, Alexa was in the background with her nonsense uh, letting me know uh, to take my eye drops because she's a twat. Um, I mean, she's good, but she decided to just interrupt. And you know what? We don't want to deal with her. Um, but, yes, thank you, guys. Bullet is here. You want to you purr people out of here, huh, buddy? you feel better now you're contributing big guy okay he done. he's like i'm gonna rub my face against the mic and uh that's it that's enough of you that's enough of you guys you're not getting any more of me i can't give it to you every time for as much as you like he's not gonna What? what are you doing oh okay he was making weird real weird facial expressions here. Uh anyway guys, thank you for being on this journey with us. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Something different and um yeah, uh, just another story of of people overcoming. And um yeah, am having a weird eye day right now. I think I got an ulcer in my eye. It's just a whole thing. So hopefully this goes away. Um more eye drops, more eye drops. Yes, so many. I'm taking like 20 eye drops a day just in one eye. So, uh, life. um. But yes, um, but I'm breathing. As you can tell, I'm smiling. So we're not going to let this ruin my day. Me and Bullet are going to snuggle up and then I'm going to go to the gym. Uh, not with him because he wouldn't like it. Too many people. I barely like it with all those people, right? We're a recluse. We like to be away from everybody, don't we? Yes, we do. Big old chunker boys. Oh, he's so chunky. Uh, all right, guys. Thank you for being on this journey with us and uh, I will see you guys next week for another one. Boy, I can't find the button. There it is. Ah! I hit the wrong one. I two. Bye, guys. I'm silly.